Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King Cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. What I am doing this week, I'm continuing my examination of DirecTV's adaptation of Stephen King's first entry in his Mercedes trilogy, Mr. Mercedes. Um, so if you are tuning in for the first time, I have had a lot of thoughts on Mr. Mercedes. Well, actually, no, I take that back. For those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Stephen King cast, guys. Um, those of you who are tuning in again, longtime listeners, welcome back as always. But for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, um, I am reviewing this through the lens of someone who did not enjoy the Mr. Mercedes book. Um, so you can hear my... Um, thoughts on the Mr. Mercedes book by um, heading backwards in the feed, um, and you can you can listen to that there. So the the book is one thing, the show is something else, and I am really enjoying the show. So I have one episode in which I had reviewed episodes one and two, and then in the previous episode I reviewed episodes three through six, and in this episode I am reviewing uh, episodes seven through ten. So. Um, just like I did last week, I am not going to uh, get to the emails or iTunes reviews. I just wanted to get to the meat and potatoes and just get to the reviews um, and just let you know what I think about uh, the episodes, the final episodes of season one, beginning with episode seven, which begins uh, unexpectedly, I guess, with Brady in the throes of, uh, I guess, just a, it's a cross between a Zumba workout and a rave. Now, what's important to note here is that he's just, it's not that he's excited, it's not that he's working out, it's its just, he's manic. He's manic. Um, and it's just, it's showing his state of mind and the, the cycles that his mind takes him on. Um, we haven't seen him this manic before. Um, it just could be because um, he's hitting that, that, that manic stage. Um of, of his mental state, or it could be from the rejuvenated confidence that has come with the, the, the reassertion of control that he has um, reasserted over his life over the last episode. Meanwhile, Bill tries to make amends with Jerome, heading to his place to apologize for his um, behavior from before. Bill understands that he had crossed the line, but it's clear he doesn't fully believe it. Just like he can't take full responsibility for Trelawney's death, his lack of complete remorse, it's a very consistent character trait for our hero, and it's one that doesn't paint him in the best light. Um, but I'm grateful for it. I don't want, like, I, I, I don't want a, a perfect sheen on this character. I like that he's rumpled. I like that he's wrinkled. Um, that he is a little rough around the edges. That he does have this this murky quality to his morality. I just simply put, he's not perfect, and I like that a lot. And David E. Kelly and Jack Bender and Dennis Lehane, they do a fantastic job at giving us a character that feels very, very lived in. Back at the Hartsfield household, Deborah, now once again in the throes of her alcoholism, alternates flashbacks with present-day curiosity of what lies in the basement of Brady's workspace. At the nearby diner, our quartet 
finally unites as Bill introduces Jerome to Holly, and the scene crackles. All three of these actors bounce wonderfully off of each other, with Jerome rolling uh, with Holly's quirks, Bill behind the eight ball as usual, and Jerome flabbergasted as Holly lays some technological smackdown on his plan to get into Olivia Trelawney's computer. While the band begins to come together for our good guys, looks like Brady's band begins to split. While he's at work, Deborah makes her way through the house, trying to understand her son better, ultimately finding her son's clown mask that he'd used for the murder spree. Meanwhile, at the electronics store, Brady and his co-workers get an epic, over-the-top tongue lashing from the district manager. Now, I don't know, guys. I mean, I've worked in retail before, and it wasn't for very long, and maybe my experience is somewhat limited, but this seemed way too preposterous to have any semblance of truth to it this to me came across like a parody of wall street but it is what it is um bill's love lives come crashing into each other um most appropriately at a funeral parlor ida meets jade and the setting is nice foreshadowing to the future of janie and bill bill and janie wind up having a nice thoughtful conversation about parents and children and how much of our parents do we really get to know and to flip that conversation, because the, the structure of this show is meticulous. So they know what they're doing when they're having these characters have these conversations. So we have two characters talking about how well do we know our parents. And so then they flip immediately to the Hartsfield house. Um, and the inversion of that is a parent who truly doesn't know the child, as Deborah has found a number of questionable items throughout the home. Deborah doesn't get answers from Brady, but in the lack of answers comes the real answer. We get a little more information about Brady and his past with the realization that at age 10, he had been recommended to be committed, but Deborah didn't pull the trigger. She should have. It would have saved the lives of everyone in the Mercedes attack, and it would save Janie's life, who in the moments following her mother's funeral, dies in the car explosion set off by Brady, who has come out of the shadows to remind Bill who he's playing with. Now, in a brilliant conclusion to this episode... As Bill faces the raw truth of death of his newfound love, his grief is intermingled with scenes from Janie's eulogy of her mother. The placement here is ingenious, providing Mary Louise Parker the opportunity to eulogize herself. The beauty of this speech is juxtaposed with the gruesome nature and frank gruesome nature of her death, with the camera picking up on a flaming arm on the pavement. Um, all in all, this is a critical episode, in this story that's going to escalate um, and accelerate the plot um, into the conclusion of the story and start to give our main character um, more motivation um, and, and more shading and more unpredictability, how he's going to react. And as we'll see in the next episode, episode eight, um, Bill's journey is going to be mirrored um, very, very shortly um, with a similar experience happening to, to Brady, um, which I'm very, very excited to talk about. So guys, that was episode seven. This show continues to be firing on all cylinders. I'm very, very happy with it all in all. Um, and with that said, let's make our way to episode eight. So with episode eight, we pick up after the events of the car explosion with the two characters chatting under the blue umbrella. Both of them cut right to the chase with the acknowledgement of Brady's, of Brady's bombing. But Brady's gloating will catch up with him soon, as upstairs, Deborah has taken the poison meat out of the refrigerator to cook up some dinner. 
Speaking through the blue umbrella, Brady continues to urge Bill to put the gun in his mouth. And they've been hammering this point home over the last few episodes, which is a great touch knowing Brady's ultimate plan in End of Watch when he becomes the Suicide Prince. As I've said on many occasions before, I wasn't a fan of the first Mercedes book, but I'm very, very interested to see the progression of this show and how it goes to the sci-fi supernatural places as the conflict between Private Eye and Killer escalates. But it's getting ahead of ourselves. Back in the present, Ida shows up and Bill warns her to stay away from the fact that people that get close to him are in danger. Now, it was a smart idea to include this Ida character. Not only did it create more characters for Bill to bounce off of, but it creates a deeper pool of victims for Brady to choose from. And her inclusion in the show is a complete wild card. There's no way to know if she will play any role in the upcoming events, if she'll be a victim, or just continue to plug along as the voice of reason and stability for Bill. Now, in the book, Deborah's death took place off-page, and it's something that Brady discovers when he comes home. What Kelly and Bender do here is so much worse. First, not only does Deborah take the poison when Brady is actively ignoring her, but we get to see the entire poisoning take place from the very first cough to the very last. And having Brady there to watch his mother die by by his hands in his arms, this is a brilliant, terrible choice for them to make. Kelly Lynch gives a haunting gruesome, physical, really physical death scene. Her mouth is clenched, her veins are popping, her eyes are manic, her face is smeared with froth and blood. It's a truly, truly upsetting visual. And spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, guys, but when you're making the decision to include a poisoning scene into the television landscape in a post-purple wedding world, then you know that you have to find a way to top it. And while the circumstances are different, after all, there was a tragic measure of relief and surprise and guilt that comes from that when the villain of the show died in brutal fashion, choking to death in his mother's arms. This show does a phenomenal job at going toe-to-toe with, again, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, with Joffrey's death. And to top it off, the way in which Brady brings her to her bed and attempts to close her eyes while he's dressed for work, only for the eyes to pop back open, it's touches like these that are incredible. You know, they just make the show pop. Bill heads to rehab to tell his daughter she's in danger. Now, like I said, I I don't believe that we saw her in the books with the absence forming the shape of the daughter that used to be there. And there's not much to this scene. But the fact that there is a complete lack of a relationship between between the two of them, it speaks volumes. And then after speaking with Pete, who was apologetic for not having listened to him at the beginning, Bill returns home to find Holly waiting for him. Ida joins the party, and like I said, she's such a great addition. She throws his self-destruction in his face, making fun of his response when asked of how he's doing with, you know, what are you going to do? And, like, her response to that is, it's great. And I love how they continue to take these phrases that um, that people say, you know. So there was Bill's um, diatribe against the bartender when the bartender um, said no problem. And here it's Ida, you know, going on a mini diatribe of what are you going to do? I, I, I love these moments. They're just, they're so relatable and they're, they're of our world. And again, they're not needed in an overall plot, but they really help just paint a picture of, of, of these characters and the lives that they live. It's like in game of Thrones, how, um, 
every now and then they would make the decision to just show Stannis Baratheon just get really annoyed when people couldn't speak grammatically <laughs> correct. And uh, there's no need to that. It just, but it, it just goes to show the the precision of of Stannis and and how important he feels that order and rules are, even down to the to the, the grammatical rules. Um, so his constant fixation on people who use the term less rather than fewer um, really paints a picture of who Stannis is. And similarly here, we, we get to see the thought process of Ida and earlier in the season, Bill. And I just, I really enjoy these, these choices. Um, Holly disregards her mother's orders and spends the night in Bill's house. And when Bill wakes up, he finds Jerome and Holly scouring Olivia's computer, which she had hacked the night before. What's notable about this scene is that in the wake of Janie's death, it has created a new family for Bill, while Brady's family has been vanquished from this earth. In the span of one episode, Brady's actions have simultaneously strengthened Bill's support system and decimated his own. The episode concludes with Holly going off with her mother against her wishes, but Bill thinks it will be best for her, with Brady lying in bed with the rotting corpse of his mother. With the stark visuals from this episode alone, I'm surprised that this show wasn't more in the cultural conversation. Um, I feel that its placement on DirecTV um, limited its exposure. Um, If it was on a premium station um, or if it was on one of the more conquering streaming services, I think that it would have found itself in the rotation of conversation among the critics the podcasters, the bloggers. The, um, but aside from the two episodes that streamed for free, I didn't hear anyone talk about this show, which is a real shame because first the death in this episode, then the boy cuddling up to his decaying mother. These were incredible moments of television that go a long way in cementing Brady as a memorable Stephen King villain. Guys, did you just hear what I said? Longtime listeners who have listened to my review of Mr. Mercedes, did you just hear what I just said? This is how effective this show is. It is making me completely, I don't know if it's me understanding a character that I didn't understand in the book or if they are able to bring the, actually fulfill the character to the potential that maybe King struggled with in the book. I'm not sure, but I will say this. When you take the comparison out of there, All that I can say is that what this show is doing is effective in how they do it, and my thoughts are complementary in in the execution of their intention. So with that said, I'm I'm done with episode eight and onward to episode nine. So episode nine, guys, this show knows how to go there, and it's not afraid to do that. We open up with Brady doing sit-ups next to the rotting corpse of his mother, who now has band-aids over her eyes. Pete and Izzy speak to their higher-up, who demonstrates her displeasure for their handling of the case and her uncertainty to the benefits of Bill Hodge's involvement. It's a good scene for Pete, who stands his ground and offends both himself, his partner, and his former partner. When Bill returns home, he finds Holly waiting for him on his stoop. He has realized that despite the fact that he has sent her away, she's not going anywhere, and good for Bill, too, as she has discovered who has serviced Olivia's computer, thereby giving Bill the lead he needs to start to identify the Mercedes killer. 
with only one more episode after this. The tension is definitely starting to build as the two characters begin to draw closer and closer. For instance, the second that Bill, Izzy, and Pete arrive at the electronic store is the exact moment that Billy that, that Brady has exited. Bill has missed his opportunity to apprehend the killer by mere seconds. And to show just how close they are to identifying him, the store manager confirms that it was Brady who had been the service technician to take care of Olivia's computer. Um, the manager. What is uh, Roby. Roby is, is the manager's name. Anyway, um, by seeing the police, he asks them if he's in danger. The question itself confirms the mounting suspicions, and as Roby says, the police's presence confirmed the suspicions he's had on Brady all along. He provides Brady's address to the police, and at last, Bill looks upon the face of the Mercedes killer, only to realize that's also the face of the ice cream man who prowls his neighborhood. While he's home, speaking with his mother, or what's left of his mother, um, Bill arrives at the front door. Now, as I remember, as far as I remember, I don't recall this scene happening in the book. If it did, I'm sorry that I don't recall it. Um, if this is a new addition, this is a great addition of a scene. Um, it's very, very tense with our killer locked in the house and our hero um, ah, right outside the doors. Bill has a choice to make in this moment. Does he follow up on the lead to find Lou, or does he head back to meet with Holly and Jerome, who have uncovered more information from the computer and need to speak with him in person due to the fact that Holly believes that any electronic communication could be monitored by Brady? After finishing up with his quartet, he talks with Lou, who at first swears by Brady's innocence as he's the sweetest person in the world, and then gives Bill a different story about his mother than the neighbor had given him. Bill warns Ida, while Pete and Izzy attempt to get a warrant for Brady's arrest. Roby returns home to find Brady in his living room, and the place where he should feel the most safe, he's now in the most danger. The second Roby asks him if he's the Mercedes killer, Brady answers with a hammer blow to the head. In Bill's kitchen, Holly gives Bill her backstory, her institutionalization, a break from reality, and it's a tender moment that gives insight into her quirky personality. Their conversation is interrupted when Bill receives a phone call that the police have obtained their warrant to arrest Brady, whose house is quickly swarmed by a SWAT team. The showrunners attempt to misdirect us by having us believe that Brady is showering in the house as the cops swarm outside, but it's clear that he's still at Roby's house. He records a video of himself giving a sort of explanation for his actions, which heighten the tension of the scene when back at Brady's house, the ice cream truck starts up on its own from a remote control in Brady's possession safely far enough away from the scene of the action. The viewer is convinced that the truck is going to explode. I certainly was. Bill voices that same concern. The fact that it doesn't only escalates the tension because it doesn't allow the viewer to release the mounting anxiety that's building within us. From there, as they enter the house... And as they enter the basement, our fears are confirmed as the basement computers tick down to a countdown, with Bill heading upstairs to discover Deborah and what looks like Brady cradling her. Bill is not convinced he needs to see his face, but a well-timed explosive lights up the room before Bill can confirm the identity. And with that, as far as the police are concerned, the Mercedes killer has not been caught, but at least been taken care of. Um, and with that, the episode has concluded, and we, along with our characters, rush into the final episode, episode 10. The show chooses to skip the regular intro. Instead, where we would get our usual music cue, 
Uh, we get Bill waking up to the sound of Danny Boy as he investigates why his record is playing and where this mysterious blood trail is leading. He discovers Brady in his ice cream truck servicing ice cream to his daughter, Jerome and Holly. This is a dark dream where he is both allowed to enjoy pushing his daughter on the swing, but something's wrong. It's nighttime, and everything else is wrong, so it's no surprise that it turns quickly with Brady rushing out of the darkness to steal her. Bill wakes up, and as structure and safety of the day asserts itself, he still can't shake what his dreaming mind was trying to tell him, that despite what had appeared the night before, Brady is not dead. At the police station, Bill and the crew watches the tape that Brady had left behind. While the bomb squad sweeps Bill's house, the district manager of Brady's store gets the impression that there might be a bomb in the, children, um, the children's hangout in the electronics store, which prompts the bomb squad to sweep it. At this point, because the conclusion is differentiating from the book so much, there's no telling what will happen. As Pete and Bill discuss the question of Brady's death, of which Bill is still unsure, we check back with the dead body himself, the not-so-dead after all, very alive and living, assembling the bomb wheelchair from the book. As the police go about closing up their case, the true hero of the show reveals himself to be the asshole district manager who not only called them with the suspicion of a bomb at the electronics store, but also realizes that something is wrong when um, Roby doesn't answer his door, aside from the fact that his car is parked on the street. The district manager continues his heroic streak by managing to point out that a rug is missing, and Izzy, Pete, and Bill immediately spray the room with luminol, discovering blood traces. And with that, they realize that the body that they discover in Brady's home isn't Brady at all, and their Mercedes killer is alive and well. There are two major events occurring in town at the same time, neither of which is the concert from the book, so the complete uncertainty of what's going to happen next makes this a thrilling conclusion to the first season. Now, um, I, if I remember correctly, they decided to change the um, uh, the plot point from the concert uh, to this gala due to the Ariana Grande concert bombing. Um, uh, when did that take place? In the spring? God, I can't keep track. But I, I believe that that was the reason why they 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 didn't... It's too close. It's just too close. It's too eerily um, similar to the events of real life, the way that many of King's works actually wind up being. So anyway, one of the events here is a career fair, which the police believe is the likely of the two places where uh, Brady will attack due to the fact that he had initially struck at the job fair with the Mercedes in the first place. But as Bill makes his way there, he realizes that his gut is telling him that Brady will strike at the gala, the outside art center that Roby had recruited Brady to be a part of many episodes ago. As Bill attempts to call everyone he knows to get them to safety, the only one he's able to get through to is Ida, who pours herself a glass of wine as Bill implores her to leave. This is a great moment. Even if Brady comes for her, she's going to go out on her own terms. Rather than spending time with her boring son, because that's a worse alternative than death, um, at the gala, Brady sneaks through with a security guard using the wheelchair disguise. Now, Bill makes it to the gala, and his stress is starting to get the best of him. He runs into Holly, who comments on how bad Bill looks, and as Jerome takes the stage, Lou exits the porta potty at the exact second that Brady does. And the man that she had looked up to and thought was her friend ruthlessly stabs her in the stomach to hide his tracks. 
Again, I don't recall a story beat like this in the books, but because Brady hesitates a fatal blow through the eye, she's able to call for help, which brings Bill. She tells him that Brady has shaved his head, and her informative exposition is balanced with truthful pleads not to be left alone for fear of dying and the fear of Brady coming back. It's another small character beat that Kelly and Bender add that allow for honesty and texture to this adaptation. And as Bill, weakened, suffering, um, with the onset of a heart attack, he staggers to his feet to hunt down his killer, all hell breaks loose. Jerome simultaneously gets onto the stage to tell everyone to get out while Bill pulls out his revolver to take aim at Brady. Our characters face off with Bill's heart getting the best of him. And though he fails to take the shot, Holly races up behind Brady and begins to wail on him with the pug statue that she had taken from Bill's house. It's a brutal attack, and she saves the day. Bill recuperates from his heart attack, and as he leaves, he stops by at Brady's room. After a conversation of how much Brady is truly left within him, he asks the doctor to leave. He leans over the body and tells him he knows that he's still in there with a great quote, because hate hangs on. And he lets Brady know that when he's brought back, Bill will be there. And in a truly fantastic conclusion, as the camera zooms in on Brady's unresponsive face, the beeps and squeaks of the hospital monitoring equipment starts to sputter as the pixies start to break through and Brady's theme song, Here Comes Your Man, kicks in, showing us that the show is not going to shy away from the crazy supernatural elements that will come to fruition in the concluding chapter of this story. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we have concluded our review of the first season of Mr. Mercedes. And like I said, I have got to say, I really enjoyed this. This was a solid and that's just the term that I, I have to use. I mean, I wouldn't use genius. I wouldn't use rele- uh, revolutionary. Um, it's a solid, solid um, season of television with every episode giving you great character beats um, and tension. It wasn't action-packed. It wasn't meant to be, but it puts you in the, the shoes and in the hearts and the minds of our characters as they um, played an incredible game of cat and mouse. Um, So again, I cannot hammer this home enough for someone that truly did not like the book. um, This show was so effective. It's making me question whether or not I was wrong in my... um, in my review and my thoughts of the book. Um, it's actually making me think about going back and rereading it for the possibility of me actually realizing that I liked it all along. I don't know. Maybe I will. And if I do, I will give you a brand new review of Mr. Mercedes, in which, which would be interesting. I would love to give another review of Mr. Mercedes the book in which I have been flipped, turned, um, and um, am able to point out all of the areas that I think are strengths that I once had believed are weaknesses. I would love for that to happen. I don't know if that will happen. Maybe I would reread Mr. Mercedes and say, no, um, I, I had every reason to dislike it. It's just that it, it made for a better uh, audiovisual story than it did um, a, a printed one. So I don't know. I don't know. But I will say this. Um, the 10 episodes of Mr. Mercedes, the first season, um, were 10 hours 
um, well worth spent. And I am very excited um, to as we head into the, the second season. Now, in the second season, the cast members that have been cast so far make it look to me like they might um, eliminate the the middle chapter of the trilogy, Finders Keepers, and go straight into End of Watch, which honestly is... It's a it's a smart decision because uh, Finders Keepers is completely unrelated to the 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 showdown between Bill and Brady. Um, Brady takes a back seat um, to just show, you know, Bill living his life, running this detective agency, while Brady um, recuperates or just exists in a vegetative state um, in the hospital. But really, the things kick into gear with um, with end of watch. So if they go straight into the end of watch story and they they give us a two season show, I think that that would be I think that's bold and strong and confident storytelling. And that and that's actually kind of the the route that I I hope that they take. So everyone, um, if you haven't checked out, you can check it out. All you have to do is just um, go to Direct TV. Um, and if you think that you can watch all 10 episodes in the span of a week, then you can do it for free. You just sign up, watch the episodes, and then cancel um, because you are allowed a, a week free trial. And so it's well within your rights to be able to watch this show within a week um, and then give DirecTV a shot. And maybe you'll like it and maybe you'll want to continue to subscribe. But if you don't, um, you can cancel within seven days. Um, and like I said, it's your free trial. So if you feel as though you can watch all 10 hours in a week, then go for it. If you, you know, if you do it in a weekend, you can just binge, um, you can binge uh, throughout the weekend and, and easily get it done. And it allows you more time to, to watch more stuff on DirecTV. So um, that that's how I did it. And that's certainly an option for you guys. So, um, but w however you watch it, um, whether you pay for DirecTV, whether you just go with the, the, the trial, um, however you do it, Mr. Mercedes is well worth your time. Guys, I really enjoyed it. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, watching it and reviewing it um, with all of you. So with all that said, if you have any thoughts on Mr. Mercedes, feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Um, and make sure that if you have a few moments on your hands to please leave a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, and may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I will see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King Cast. There's a wait so 